gay apparel. Fa la 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 la. Troll the ancient Yuletide carol. Fa la 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 la. That was silly. All right. Okay, so it is obviously be- getting oh. a little closer to Christmas time. So we're getting that little boost of like Christmas energy mm-hmm. coming through. Mm-hmm. As we're Thanksgiving's excited. over by the time you hear this. Mm-hmm. And we're having uh, we're having wine. We're having wine. On surviving on wine and cuss words. Uh, we're having some Moscato. Uh, what are you drinking? Oh, a Boda box. A Boda box. Boda box. Of what? Boda box of bourbon barrel <laughs> bourbon barrel aged cabernet there's a lot of alliteration there it's a boat a box of bourbon barrel aged cabernet <laughs> we're we're being silly okay. but you know you gotta laugh you either laugh or you cry good so if you hear us sipping we're sipping on some wine so feel free to pour a glass of wine we are getting into the end of the trial the, the end. end of our legal experience through this um, this is super exciting. We're gonna gonna start with the closing statements, move on to sentencing, what happened after the sentencing and mm-hmm. well, yeah, where we last left off, the defense rested its case after the completely useless testimony of me, Charlotte. Yes. Which is ridiculous, but we have some very interesting I, I mean, this could be a ten minute read. But you want to hear these closing statements? Yeah, let's hear the closing statements. I think we should. Um, uh, Judge, I'd like to use the... Okay. All right. This is Mr. Patterson starting first. Then we go to Mr. Brown, the defense. And then we come back because Leslie wants to be last. Mm -hmm. So he says, and this, remember, is the prosecutor that was really berating and belittling to the defendant which makes everybody a little bit happy but he says you hear about child molesters about the cases <laughs> still i mean they have to be it is it is Let's like on tv oh gosh i'm so sorry childhood sexual abuse um Manipulation, emotional, emotional, emotional abuse. Trauma, emotional abuse, yeah. So just a little warning before we Sorry. Get there. Sorry about that. And poor legal defenses too. Trigger yeah, and, well. And trigger warning for a poor legal defense. It was, it was the free kind, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so he says, you hear about child molesters, about the cases on TV someplace, read about it somewhere. Sorry. But it always seems kind of removed. And so we feel kind of creepy when we hear about it. Well, as you know, they are everywhere here in Chattanooga. And I hope that over the course of these three days, you realize that you've been sitting 10 to 20 feet away from an actual real child molester. They're emotional when you're around these folks. Emotional when they come to court. As we talked in what? I should have reread this. As we talked in voir dire, I don't know what that means. As we talked, it's really, really important that you make your decision not based on the emotion that we all feel, but on the law as it pertains to these particular crimes. 
This defendant has admitted most of the elements of the crime. Aggravated sexual battery is admitted, his daughter's age, and that he did touch her vagina. Can we say that? Are we good to say that? Are yeah. we? You good? You've got yeah. your therapist sitting next to you. So yeah. if I, if you need me to stop, my eyes are going to be on this paper. If you need me to stop, you just say stop for a minute. Okay. 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 All right. The only thing he's not admitting that he did was did it for sexual purpose. And with the statutory rape by an authority figure, he's admitting that penetration happened. He's. Can I interject right there? Mm-hmm. So something that was in his testimony that I forgot to mention in the last episode mm-hmm. was that um, he like admitted to touching me, but he said that it was not sexual, right? He said it wasn't for sexual purposes. And mm. Patterson, our uh, prosecutor, attorney, no, uh, our sorry, prosecutor, our district attorney, right, I meant right. To say, um, he said, well, sir, are you studying gynecology? I said, no, I'm not studying gynecology. And he said, well, why else? Would you touch well, yeah, a vagina? Else? So anyway, that's kind of what that's referring to. If it wasn't for sexual purposes. I remember that. I remember that. Well, sir, are you studying gynecology? See, <laughs> very berating. I would have loved to have been there and heard it. I know. So he said... He's just saying, okay, and with the statutory rape by an authority figure, he's admitting that penetration happened. He's just saying that he didn't use his parental authority to accomplish that. So let's look at the law. On page 12 of your jury instructions, you'll see in association with the proof, it talks about how to use such authority to accomplish the sexual penetration. Used means and includes a cultivation of that relationship the building of that relationship, the things he did as a father, and when he used that to cultivate what he said admittedly was an improper relationship, and he used that to accomplish the penetration. That satisfies the very element that he's contesting. The proof that you heard on this very element, I mean, his parental authority went back to when she was an infant. He had her somewhere between 9 and 12 months old. He filled out an affidavit of parentage, signed his name on the birth certificate, did special things for her on her birthday, Christmas, went to her school plays, taught her how to ride a bike, spanked her, disciplined her, the whole spectrum of parental activities he had with Emily, the victim. That was definitely her mindset, and I hope you got that during the course of this trial. Right. She called him dad. They lived together. It's okay to refer to someone as a stepdad. It's okay. Whatever works for your family. In this particular family, he was her dad. He was her dad. He says that those years can be turned off like a light switch. Maybe for child molesters they can. It doesn't matter. In her mind, that was her dad. And that's what he used to get her as a sexual object. This parental authority continued well beyond the marriage. When Charlotte moved out, leaving him, they had a parental custody plan in place where he got 50% of it with his biological son and with Emily. There was no difference. They're both his kids. That lasted after the, excuse me, after she moved out and after the divorce until, of course, he was caught giving Emily alcohol and taking naked pictures. So yeah, there's lots of evidence that you've heard and I hope you have in your notes that show the very custodial parental authority that he had, he's saying, 
was not present. The aggravated sexual battery on page 19 of your jury instructions, you'll see, and this is the only other element he's contesting, the sexual contact was not for sexual purposes. That the intentional touching, he admitted it was intentional, can be reasonably construed. Not in his mind, but by you. Can you reasonably construe that Mr. Duncan touched his nine-year-old daughter's vagina for sexual purposes? Well, you can look at a person's actions after they do something to see what was going on in their head while they were doing it. What did he do? He knew he did something wrong. He, and I'm quoting him here, I realize I probably affected her for the rest of her life. I immediately started apologizing to Emily. I said what I did was just wrong. I knew it could prob- I could probably be arrested for it. That's huge. No, we're no longer quoting. He says the defense or the, the mm-hmm. prosecutor says that's huge. Arrested. He knew he'd done something not just wrong, but criminal. Mm-hmm. What else would it be? There's no law against accidentally accidentally touching someone like that. He touched her, his daughter's vagina. And then he tells his nine-year-old daughter, quote, if you want to, I'll go turn myself in. Mm-hmm. For what? For accidentally touching her? That's what he wants you to believe. That's what he said. I couldn't believe he said it, and he said it again in front of you today. That's what he told his daughter, like he wanted her to believe that. Quote, if you want me to, I'll turn myself in. That's not a reasonable expectation, and I'll come back to that later. You can look at his actions afterward that very night, after that night, and also find out if that touching could be reasonably construed for sexual purposes. You can look at the sex that happened. He told her he wished that he was her age, so he could do the things with Emily that her boyfriends could do with her. His penis would be... <laughs> you can skip over that okay. if you want to. Okay. Sex, 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 sex. Then he says, that's sex. He described sex. That's what it is. He's trying to tell you, quote, I wouldn't think about that with my nine-year-old daughter, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, that's okay. Not that weird 9-year-old. That's not what I'm telling you. You can use that when you consider if it's reasonably construed that that would touching for sexual purposes. His hand would often end up in her vagina, on her vagina, when they would sleep together. Okay, new paragraph. He gave her literature about dads and daughters living together as husband and wife. He gave it to her. Why does he want her to read that? Why does he want to give it to your daughter? The title of it, he's the dad, she's the daughter. That's the reason that could easily be by itself enough for you to reasonably construe that the touching was for sexual purposes. Can I interject? Mm Mm-hmm. So um, a little more about that story is that my dad would always that was his big argument was that in like the 1700s and the 1800s that it was like totally normal for grown men to like marry 13 year olds Mm -hmm. that was a big argument for him and then one day I remember he showed me this news story of a dad and a daughter that had gotten married and he was like it's only weird because they tell us it's weird and it's only wrong 
because they tell us it's wrong, you know, see what these people are going through. They're just trying to live their life the same way as us. It's mm-hmm. a key part of the grooming process. Key part of it is convincing them it's normal. Right, yeah. So you see it like, I remember you would use examples from the Bible where like Enoch and stuff like that. And we don't even, well, we were not religious. Mm. Right. So he goes on with his closing. And here's the thing. Child molesters speak good kid language. They have to, to get what they want. They have to speak at that level. And you all heard him. You heard his voice. How articulate he was. Sound reasonable, didn't it? Sounded reasonable, didn't it? Did it sound completely reasonable? That should give you chills. That's how he described how sex was okay with Emily as a girl, as a minor, as his daughter. You just heard he saw how he got her to feel this way. He described it to her for years the way he did for us in what, about an hour. Mm -hmm. That's how child molesters operate. That's how he operates. That's how he got what he wanted. You can tell it's emotional for everybody, even the lawyers involved. You still have to follow the law. And so emotion gives you a reason why this stuff is wrong. The law gives you the reasons, the checklist you have to go down to say that it's wrong. So compare your notes. Talk to one another. Go over the evidence. For Emily's sake, come back with a verdict of guilty and tell him that it's wrong of aggravated sexual battery and all four counts of statutory rape by an authority figure. He was done. Mr. Brown. Yes, sir. He's ready to go. This is defense. Yeah, this is the defense attorney stepping up here. For closing arguments. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you both on my behalf and on behalf of Mr. Duncan for your attention and for your service over the last few days. It's quite a thing to do. Being a juror is something that not many people get to experience. And it's something that we do probably once in a lifetime. And I certainly appreciate your service and the attention that you've given to this matter because it's a very serious matter. And we explained that to you in voir dire, which is the same word that I couldn't, whatever that is, that's a technical legal term. It was also discussed to you during your voir dire or Mr. Patterson asked you about what was the first thought that came to your mind when he mentioned the judicial system. And a lot of you said fairness. Mm-hmm. I think was probably the majority of you said fairness. There were some other remarks such as evidence and process, but then one person said blind, and that sparked a discussion about the Statue of Liberty Justice. I'm sorry, Statue of Lady Justice. I'm, I, I don't even know where he's going here. Yeah, this is a weird tangent. And if you've ever seen that statue or seen a picture of it, you know that there's a blindfold across the eyes of Lady Justice. And what that blindfold signifies is that in any decisions that are made in a court of law should be free of bias and prejudice. That includes moral bias and moral prejudice. And I submitted to you during my opening statement that this is certainly not a court of moral conduct. If it were, I wouldn't be standing up here because I would have already lost a long time ago. Nobody disputes that what Mr. Duncan did was morally incorrect. That's not why we're here. The reason that we're here is because that Mr. Duncan, like I said during the opening statement, and just like every other man that has sat in that seat before him, 
has the right to require the state of Tennessee to prove each and every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt. Speculation doesn't get it. Emotional attachment to one side or another does not support the elements of the offense. There has to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Patterson is correct. Count one of the indictment. The element that we are disputing is the definition of sexual contact. It is defined for you on page 19 in your instructions, and it does indicate that the intentional touching can be reasonably construed for the, for being as being for the purpose of sexual arousal or gratification. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it is not appropriate to speculate. There must be proof beyond a reasonable doubt as to that element and to the definition, and that simply does not exist in this case. Mm. We can't pretend to climb into the mind of Mr. Duncan several years ago and without some extrinsic proof of sexual gratification. Yes, you can. He just got up there and told you what was on his mind. Yeah, and there's no, I mean, okay, so. I know it's uh, not a big task to do, to wiggle his way out of this legal situation, but the argument mm-hmm. is. The argument is that we can't prove he did it for sexual gratification. In other words, we didn't have any physical evidence, like pictures or semen or anything like that. That definition in most crimes couldn't be convicted. Right. If I didn't text somebody exactly what I was thinking, you wouldn't be able to convict me. Right. Which I feel like the justice system, I mean, you know, there's, there's so many ways, if you know it well enough, to get in and out of it. But I digress. He says, we can't look at events that occurred four to five years later and say, oh, because of what he did later in her life, he must have been sexually aroused at that moment when she was nine. That's not what the law says. It's not what the law requires. The law requires that you find or that you at the, that the state prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that element existed at the time of the offense, not some point later. A more reasonable verdict as to count one and the one that would we would respectfully suggest and request that you return would be a verdict of assault. The verdict of assault requires that there be an intentional or knowingly that the defendant intentionally or knowingly caused physical contact with another and a reasonable person would regard the contact as extremely offensive or provocative. And that is the verdict that we respectfully request that you return as to count one of the indictment. Because that's less than the second. It gets you less time. Correct. In regards to the other counts of the indictment, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Patterson is correct. I think the only issue in dispute is the language that the defendant had at the time of the alleged unlawful sexual contact, parental or custodial authority over the victim, and used such authority to accomplish the sexual penetration. That is what is in dispute as to those remaining four counts. It's our position that we respectfully suggest to you that both Miss Varner and Mr. Duncan testified to you that at that point in their relationship, it had left the realm of parent-child, parent-stepchild, and had turned into something unnatural, something completely different, something completely inappropriate, but it had turned into a relationship. Yet at the same time, he was still my dad and dropping me off at school. And, Disciplining and, and doing homework with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And during the course of that relationship, there was sexual penetration between Mr. Duncan and Ms. Varner. And nobody disputes that, but it doesn't meet the definition of statutory rape by an authority figure. How in the fuck? 
sidebar, does that not meet the definition? So, yeah. It was, it is aggravated statutory rape because there was a 10-year difference in age between Mr. Duncan and between Ms. Varner. So they're saying it's aggravated statutory rape as opposed to statutory rape by an authority figure because they're trying to say that he removed himself as your father and was now a partner. Okay. And that's that's nonsense. I always knew. It's nonsense. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that is our position in regards to those remaining counts. And that is the position and the verdict that we are asking you to return in respect to counts two through five. Doing so, doing so would in no way justify, excuse, or otherwise condone what Mr. Duncan did to Miss Varner. Don't be under the impression that if you follow the law, that you're going to excuse what happened, that you're going to condone it, that you're going to send a message that it's okay, because that's not why we're here. We're here to send a message. We're here to apply the law that has been given to you by the court to the facts of this case. On the last page of your jury instructions and just read to you by the judge sort of sums up what I was talking about with Lady Justice. It says, quote, members of the jury, you should enter upon the consideration of this case with due regard to the seriousness of the questions submitted to you for determination, and you should strive to free your minds of all bias one way or the other. You should have no sympathy. You should have no prejudice or allow anything but the law and the evidence to have any influence upon your verdict. You must render your verdict with absolute fairness and impartiality. Go, no, look to all the facts and circumstances in the proof before you make and report to the court such verdict as you think truth and justice requires. That is why we're here. We're not here because he sent text messages to, text message all those years, two years ago saying, I'm a child abuser or molester or whatever it says. He said that on May the 8th, 2015, and he told you that. I told you that during my opening statements, that he told you that during his examination on the trial, that that's not why we're here. We're here to apply the fact. Those events that occurred over the span of time, you're to apply those events to the law and return a verdict of truth and justice. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. So all he wanted was a lesser count five lesser counts yeah now right technically speaking technically mm-hmm. so and then leslie goes back to say lots of lots of stuff like you're crazy you're wrong it fits the it fits the bill right so let's kind of get into what happened with the sentencing so well the jury deliberates right let's, right let's kind of talk about that Oh, yeah, they let them go after closing statements to deliberate. Right. And that's terrifying. We're, we're sitting there. We went to lunch. Oh, I mean, God. you know, it was, they gave them their instructions. They sent them off to deliberate and come back with a verdict. Um, at this point, you had an entire jury plus two alternates in case anybody got sick or didn't show up. And before he sent the jury to deliberate, he dismissed the two alternates and they came out in the hallway and introduced themselves, you know, to Emily. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. 
And another one said, I don't know why they're even going back in the jury room. So we felt pretty good. Well, one of them, yeah, these are the alternates that were allowed to leave before deliberation because all jury members were there. Um, So the two alternates came up to me. And again, they, they apologized, had their sympathy. But then they said, I don't understand why we're here. Mm-hmm. Because he got on the stand and said that he did everything that was in question. You know, usually in a trial, you're trying to prove that something happened. But he was just, so, the jurors were so confused as to why they were there. Because he ended up getting on the stand and saying that everything I said happened. And proving, and proving everything right. that the prosecution was trying to prove. That's why this defense lawyer said, this is against my... This is against my wishes that he get up there. I, I advise I against him. Oh, no. He's so, so, so self-centered, Absorbed. self-absorbed that he felt he could convince people Radio, that. Ideas. Yes. He was he was going to get up there and say, you know, explain it from his perspective. And the jury would be like, oh, yeah. It's not I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his own fault. That was his own fault. And the jurors that, that got dismissed did say that. I don't know why we're even here. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's done. Case closed. Which we laughed about earlier before we started this recording because it took them about three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got called back about one o'clock. And I laughed and said the only reason that it took them three hours is because they wanted lunch. Mm-hmm. They wanted lunch that last day, so they went ahead and said, "Let's just uh, let's just uh, write everything down and let's just mellow out here a little while till they bring us our sandwiches, and then we'll tell them we're done." Mm-hmm. Because there's no way that it it could have taken three hours based on that. So. Okay. They came back. They called us. They said, you know, we're they're done. They've got a verdict. And I think I have the actual time written down somewhere, but I didn't bring it up. But we all got in there. They brought the jury back. They brought everybody back. And the judge uh, told everybody this is a very emotional trial, and they're about to read their verdict, so I want this courtroom quiet. Mm-hmm. And it was nerve-wracking. I mean, even though we knew how it was going to happen, it it was emotional. No, it was terrifying because they could say anything in that moment. Mm-hmm. Anything. Yeah, and all of it could have been for nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it, no matter how confident we felt, it was terrifying. And when they asked him, juror number 44 stood up and said, we find him guilty on all five charges as charged, period guilty of all five we they i'm i'm lessen lessening it a little bit for our listening audience because they actually went through reading each and then they said guilty and they read the next one guilty so we had to hear it five times but as charged they did not lessen them for his per his request um and that was a huge successful day it was a huge win a huge win because Emily's told you in the past on this podcast that I had done some research. I, you know, it was all, there were so many things that I needed to keep my brain from going absolutely off the fucking deep end. And one of them was researching. So nothing would surprise me. So I knew with these counts, if I'm not mistaken, because I knew a lot better at the time, I knew at these counts that if we got the maximum sentence that he was looking at 38 years, Something like that. And 
I was like, oh, please, please, please serve them. Because the maximum would mean that all five were served. uh, Concurrently. No, No, consecutively. consecutively, So that when one sentence was done, the next sentence was done, and then the next sentence. So I was like, okay, all of them, maximum, serve consecutively. But he stood there that day and said, well, let's get us a date for sentencing. Of course. (laughs) Which of course meant, oh, crap. You mean you're not going to tell him today? So this was in April. And it, I believe it was July. I can go look on the wine bottle that we had that night, and it'll tell me what day yeah. we had sentencing. But sometime in July, we went back for sentencing, and that was... Um, no, it was closer to, like, September or October. It was not, because I was at the pool the day I got the phone call that talked about um, that talked about the appeal. Okay. But, but, but... Sorry, I didn't mean to yell in your ear. But we can look into that. I think it was like three months, April, May, June, July. I think it was like three months when they did the actual sentencing when we went in and they wanted uh, impact statements and things like that. Um, Did I give an impact statement? I got up there to do it. And as soon as I started, the defense said, this is not what we're here for. And I was like, okay, you know, but I did. Um, you were impacted by it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was supposed to speak for the entire family. This is how it affected us. Our family, Our family has done X, Y, Z. We've had to do X, Y, Z. So that was what it was. And they couldn't even give us that. Mm-mm. But that sentencing day, he was sentenced consecutively. Each of the four um, statutory rape by an authority figure got uh, four, uh, five years. Mm-hmm. So that was a total of 20 consecutively. And then the last one, the aggravated sexual battery got, uh, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was given a little bit of time off of that count, not the maximum of that count because he was not a prior, he had no prior record. Mm-hmm. He was in the military he served as a Marine and then he served in the army reserves. So they gave him some credit for that. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being 20, it ended up being 12 years for that count. Um, maximum. I mean that, that he would get 12 years of of 32 years to be served consecutively and to be served when it's, uh, uh, when it's this type of, crime when it's sexually oriented i think however you describe that not the child part but the sexual part in our state they are required to serve at least 80 percent of their sentence because you know a lot of people get out early and this and that and the other so we knew it could be five years for each of those charges it could be four years Mm -hmm. you know but they are sentenced to that particular amount, which ended up being 32 years. Every time, since they're consecutive, every time each count gives him the opportunity for parole, he's he can go in, look for parole. It's either granted or it's not granted. But it's if it's granted, then he goes on to serve the next one. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. Um, we haven't yet come to a date where he was up for parole. So we'll see how that goes when we get to it. Yeah. But in, in, 
in, in essence, it was a total of 32 years with a minimum of 80% to be served. Right. So fast forward to one day when I was just relaxing by the pool. Um, I got a phone call and it was uh, the district attorney, which was weird because we had already given them thank you gifts. We had already, you know, oh, thank you so much for being our warriors. Everything's done. And I see that she's calling and I'm like, what's going on? And she said, "Um, Mr. Duncan has filed for a new trial. Uh, Are you fucking kidding me on what grounds? I can't even remember what she said because I was in such shock. She said, well, this is naturally, I mean, normal. We, we typically plan for this. They're going to file an appeal or they're going to file for a new trial. They have at least one shot for each, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but what this means is if he wins his hearing to be granted a new trial, uh, we have to do it again. We have to start over from the beginning. And that, that turned my stomach I, I I mean I was sitting pacing at the pool I, I'll never forget it I'm like what do we do what do we do she said well you know I just needed to let you know I will give you a call when we know when the hearing date is so on and so forth thank you for your time and I just sat down and thought we can't we can't I can't tell Emily yeah, we can't well, go through this again will not we can't take it anymore. I can't. I can't live through another trial. But he's so. just sitting in jail. So he has he's nothing better to do. Yeah, so he gets to get out. They probably give him a sandwich while he's waiting. Mm-hmm. Him. It's all about the sandwiches. Mm-hmm. It's all about the sandwiches. Probably, ironically, the subways. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so she called and and said that, and I was I was left with this burden. This burden that we could potentially face another trial and I made the decision not to tell Emily like you know let's just let's just get some more information before we tell her because she's gone to school she's she started another semester of school and so it was a burden to carry for a couple of weeks which is not long considering we've been in this ship for two and a half years now but a couple of weeks when we we had let go and we had begun to breathe again and we had started to heal and try to carry on with our lives and then I'm bombarded with this news but a couple weeks later she called me back and she said I I need to talk to you and god what else what the fuck else (laughs) but what she was saying was she said I've got a an idea and she said I want to know what you think before I go to them And she said, um, I want to offer them some lesser time. I said, what do you mean by lesser time? She said, I want to offer to the defense that he serves 19 years of his 32-year sentence um, for in exchange for filing zero appeals or zero uh, new hearing, new, new trial Appeals. Basically waiving his right to appeal it all. Or to request a new trial. Right. That it is over and done. And I Stop said, us, yeah. yeah, I said 19 years served and we don't have to worry about going through this again. She said, that's what I'm proposing. And I said, well, 
Yes. I said, go ahead and ask. I mean, propose it because we didn't know if he'd take it. He had pulled the rug out from us before. For other deals. For other deals. So, like, go ahead and offer it. And she offered it. And maybe this is where you're thinking the September, October time frame. Mm -hmm. Because we had to go into court when he signed it. Maybe that's what what you're thinking. But uh, it was the September, October time frame because he did agree to it. He said, I won't appeal. I won't request a new trial. 19 years served. Done. And I'll never forget what the judge said. Remind me. He said, just leave this girl alone. Mm Mm-hmm. You said, oh, were you there? Oh, I, and yeah, I forgot about that. I remember I when he, sp- leave her alone. Yep, he spoke, Yeah, he spoke. And after he spoke, the judge said, okay, it is clear, Mr. Duncan, that you have zero remorse. You do not understand at all what you have done to this girl and her family because all you care about is yourself. The statement you made was filled with eyes and me's. You do not get it. You do not get it. Yeah. And um, he talked about how much it had affected him. Him. How, how he felt about And it how he's changed. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was so it was a nice, nice rebuttal by the judge. You don't get it. You're, you're, you're just off the deep end here. So we did go back. He did sign it. He did agree to 19 years served with the agreement not to appeal or not to request a new trial. So he can't, he's done. It's over. He's serving his time. And let me see here. The first date, what we have in here. The, I'm going to I'm going to look it up because I've got the dates for when his first can come up because, you know, like an obsessive weird mother, I I uh look this stuff up all the time. Do you really? You have the web, you have the app that has him. I can't Sometimes I like to make sure And the fucking picture? I like to see if he's like still there. Maybe he had some heart issues, I thought, maybe. Oh, I look, yeah, I look, make sure it doesn't say deceased. Right. But my fear is that it says, especially during COVID, when they started talking about they were releasing people, like, are released. you yeah. shitting me? But it hasn't happened yet. Um, why can I not get to the my offenders? Oh, here we go. Felony offenders. Felony offender information. Um, and let's see. I don't like to look at the picture. So our first date, please don't let this have changed. Um, the first release eligibility date is July of 26. That will be the first, because he served the long one first. He for served the, the long sentence first. That'll be the first time that he's up for parole. And then if it's granted, then he goes to the next he still has four more counts to serve and his sentence end date. And I believe this is the date that if he serves everything without parole and without any good time, time off for good behavior or whatever is my birthday of 2032. That will be the day he is released. Um, he's still in the same place and still incarcerated. It's not dead. So, 
that's the weekly update there. But yes, I do. When they started talking about letting people out and I did that, that app is where I found that they moved him from that yeah. huge, big, tough prison outside of Memphis to another one. You know, that's where I found out they moved him and I keep up with it that way, but no more appeals, no more. It's, it's over and done. Just out of curiosity, do you, do you both still feel like you, that was the good choice? I mean, in hindsight, giving in to because see I didn't think I had told Emily that we did that I, I think I told her I think I said yes do it before I asked Emily but I couldn't see her I couldn't I mean we'll get into it more in the future about how you know different things affected us differently but I, I was low low and and confused and scared and I didn't know what to do and we struggled through this trial like a bunch of blind men walking on trying to avoid hot coals on the ground I mean it it was it we didn't know what we were doing and I was physically sick to my stomach at the idea of going through another trial doing all that again and I knew Emily would be too because there's yeah, nobody. I was in college at the time, it was so hard for me to get the time off for the trial already. It was the week before finals, mm-hmm. so some some of my finals had been moved up. I had already missed tests. It was already so inconvenient for my life, and then I don't know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think we made a good decision. Obviously, I'm a little heartbroken because I felt so accomplished when they said 32 years mm-hmm. because that's really close to the maximum he would have ever been able to get ever been able especially floating nine years mm-hmm. and the nine year deal so for 32 years i was like god we really we, we won did it. we mm-hmm. did it mm-hmm. and then to come back and say well let's you know shave off uh, 11 of yeah. them yeah or 13 yeah. or whatever the math i'm not good at simple math okay but it i weighed a lot of things i weighed that this really needed to be the end. This I didn't need to hit her in the stomach again, number one. I weighed the fact that at 19 years when he got out, both the kids would be adults. I did not want him getting out when either one of them was still a child. Uh, or, you know, in my young. mind, young, right? I, I, I wanted them to be mature adults before he got out because... Who knows if he's going to go try to find him? I mean, which he always told me that he would. He would. If he had ever gotten arrested, that he was going to come find me. He will find her. Maybe legally old enough to own firearms. Correct. Correct. I mean, that kind of thing. You know, I wanted them to be, I didn't, selfishly, I didn't want it to be my responsibility. And I know that's weird. Like five years is being floated around. Yeah. He had already served two. So that would be three. He'd be out by now. Because the fact that he didn't post bail, he went to jail May 9th, the the morning after she disclosed and never got out, never got out. So the fact that you don't post bail means whenever you're sentenced, your sentence starts the day you got arrested. Now, had he posted bail, all that he served would have gone away, but he, his sentence was retroactive to the day he got taken in. So this trial took two and a half years. So, so two, and two and a half years and were already in. And I, 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 you know, I took into account the kids being mature. I took into account as much as I hate it. And, and I've kind of been proven wrong now, but as much as I hate it, I have to encourage my kids to leave here. 
You never want to. You want them to fly the nest, but you want them to fly the nest and stay home. I'd never wanted more for my kids to go away from this area. And who... And I, who wants that? I don't, as a parent, want my kids to leave, but I did. I wanted them to go start a life, to go somewhere where they choose whether or not they told this story or not. And, you know, everybody had seen his face on the news. On the news. Everybody knew you from your childhood when you had experienced this trauma. Actually, the other day, Robert, the other day, like a month ago, Robert, like, uh, had like planned a date. To go to this place. Um, For you? Yeah, it was like mm-hmm. a produce place. And he like showed it to me. And I was like, me and my dad used to go there all the time. Okay. I was like, no, we're not going there. No. And he was, he was, he was trying, he was Trouble just does. trying to go to like a sweet date. But right. because we live in the place now where mm-hmm. I have moved away and now I've moved back home. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard. It is yeah. super hard. I One thing I kind of wanted to talk on before we wind down from this episode is wine down. Y'all have, the, the I must have stressed y'all down. out because you're both out of wine and I'm not. <laughs> right. Um, was kind of how I was feeling emotionally after the trial was over. So my therapist, so sweet, you know, she was a child therapist, but I was 18 at the time. She did call me and check in on me after, after. the trial. Mm-hmm. But I felt exactly the same and I think that was such that's so hard to like feel exactly the same when you expect this like triumphant feeling or like for all the pain of the abuse to go away or to feel like some justice was served but none of that went away I I still had pain I was still a survivor going you still had process stuff to work on it wasn't over. It didn't stop it. I think that's what hurt the most is because in my head, I'm like, oh, if I could just get through this trial, it'll all go away. But then I get through the trial and I'm like, well, the abuse and the effects of it are still there. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't go away. Yeah. It didn't just magically go away because he's in jail now. The only like relief really of hurt. it was not having to try to make our way to court when we needed to. The court stuff was done. And that's a huge thing. But emotionally, I think as like. I was like a kid going through this, and especially when I was younger, I really did picture that it would all feel so much better. And there was a sense of relief with not having to go to court, but as far as emotionally healing from the abuse, it almost hurt more. That it didn't help. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was such a slap in the face that like I didn't feel better. After I had gone through this super hard thing. I felt good. I mean, I was glad that I had committed to something and followed through and gotten my story out there. That that felt really good. But Which the is, abuse was still there. Yeah. The pain was still there. I mean, it was all still there. It didn't magically go away because he was found guilty. It was nice to know that other adults had um, seen the trickery that I had experienced my mm-hmm. whole life and the manipulation, but which is why it just didn't go away. Like I thought it would. It was another, uh, another caveat to say, whether you go to court or not, doesn't necessarily help your healing. So there's no shame in whether you want to go to court or whether you don't want to go to court, press charges, don't press charges. It's all a personal journey. Yeah. It's all a personal journey. We all continued with therapy for quite some time. 
you know, with your brother, you know, and, and then, and that's not something that I want to say to hurt anybody's feelings, but it was hard enough to focus on keeping this, this family trying to be a unit with you going through what you were going through. Alex got neglected. I mean, it, it is what it is. I tried to include him as much as possible, but it was time to focus on him because he still had some shit he had to work through. I was still catching him with drugs. I was still catching him with, you know, being a bad kid. And you know how hard it is to discipline your kids when it's their dad that introduced them to that shit? I mean, I could have yelled and and grounded and taken shit away if it was you and Bobby Sue and, and Billy Bob out behind the barn trying drugs and shit, but it wasn't. It was your own dad in the living room. And that's hard because that's not your fault. Right. So it's so hard to so discipline. So we're just doing something that our parents right. do. You know, so, parents. I mean, that's where I'm, I'm going to leave you here. And that's where my story is going to leave off because that's what gets us into how did you navigate life through all of this? Mm-hmm. Emily, Alex, me, all of us, anyone involved in it. It's, it's where we're going to continue this story. Tell us how you navigated life because I can't imagine I can't imagine the the shit that I would get in with my spouse if if I were having to do this. And and we're gonna cover all that. We're gonna talk about all that because it's it's a it's a time for everybody to share and learn. Rob, uh we first started dating kind of around the sentencing mm, and around the um the change in sentencing as well. Do you have anything that you might want to add to what you kind of saw? me go through at the time well I think time has been a big deal in all of it um I think yeah you know if you're out there and you're experiencing these for things you don't have to disclose to press charges but you don't have to do it alone either um and you got a good support system I'm gonna show it here and I, I like to thank me I did my best mm-hmm. um but yeah it was really hard I remember just after the sentencing because I hadn't been there for a lot of the trial we sat down with every piece of paper and document that she could find and we read through and um, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't believe it when we were reading through it. It was like, you know, it was like so absurd. If you had told me afterwards, psych, I made it all up, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. It was so bizarre, but, um, you know, when, you, when, it, when it was, the sentencing was happening, you were having a tough time, but I think as time has gone on and you've experienced more and now you're helping your community and other people out who are doing their own thing I've seen you grow and heal a lot more so it was really the time it's it's a process Mm -hmm. it's it's a painful process but but anybody can make it through Mm -hmm. anybody can make it through and that's what we want to be here for yeah it doesn't magically go away overnight it doesn't magically go over way go away with a guilty sentence Mm -hmm. doesn't magically go away ever being arrested Yeah, yeah, ever. It is, and the, it was in the closing statements, you've fundamentally changed a person for their life. Yeah, you know, we said it before, the therapist told me, you are grieving. You're grieving because your child died. And now you have this other person who is your child, but but what you knew of your child died, and you are grieving. That doesn't change. You can't undo it. You can't undo what was done. You can only move forward in the best way you know how with the best support you can gather, which we're here for. Yeah. Which which we are I here for. Amazing support, amazing family. That's what gives me the strength to kind of come on here and talk about it. 
I know that like it's not an easy topic to talk about. It's not an easy topic to listen to. I know that this is not everybody's cup of tea. But if there is a single soul out there that is relating to this, that is getting any sort of any help, any ideas, or understanding from this, mm-hmm. I will keep doing it. Right. We will keep at this. And it's and it's we don't even we're not just asking you guys to send us stories of what happened to you. We're also asking you guys to ask questions because we know it's, it's a difficult subject and it's difficult to ask, but we're here to answer, you know, my friends and, and my support system, because, you know, you've got, you've got me being a primary support system for Emily when this was happening, but I've also got friends who were a support system for me and nobody wanted to ask questions. You know, it's a difficult subject, but they don't want to ask questions. So they're too nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's like what's going to hurt, what's not going to hurt. We're here to tell you there's not any question that that you can't ask us. us. You know, we will answer it. If you are in a particular situation and you're like, what did they do here? Or if you're just curious, what did they do here? We don't care to answer it. Please feel free, you know, of course, to reach out with questions, comments, and concerns at survivingonwhiningcusswords at gmail.com. As always, we will continue posting our YouTube videos every Tuesday. Um, Thank you so much for the love, the support, the the views, the the likes. We do appreciate it. And, you know, again, we're here to help. And if one soul has been helped, we're good. Now that we kind of have gone through our story, we're excited to kind of get more guests and Mm -hmm. um, cover more topics about the healing process. About exactly how it happened, like with Children's Advocacy Center, with other people who've experienced and what they did. And yeah. Even my boyfriend himself has his own story. So, And we're going to get into that. We'll get him a better chair though, because yeah, he looks so super like uncomfortable. No. <laughs> we're gonna get him. We're gonna get him a better chair, and it's it's gonna be a good day. We might have a bottle of wine out here to yeah, maybe to help us get through it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. All right, bye. bye. bye.